Welcome to Conversations for Life, a marriage and family podcast from Cross Life with hosts Jonathan and Kathleen. Each episode, we sit down and talk about things that matter most to those that matter most to you. We're so glad you're with us today. Please pull up a chair and join us in the conversation. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me again here at Conversations for Life. I am super excited. I've been looking forward to this conversation for a long time. Um, I am joined today with uh, an awesome guy named Becca Cook, who has written a fantastic book called A Change of Affection, A Gay Man's Incredible Story of Redemption. And his book is such a compelling story of how he came to faith in Christ out of a gay lifestyle that when I read it, I thought, I really really want others to hear his story, read his book, and interact with, with the ways that he speaks to a very vital and sensitive topic. So, Becca, just thank you so much for being on today. Glad to be here, Jonathan. Thank you for having me. So, I definitely will encourage everyone out there to, to, to buy your book and read it where you do share your story. But briefly, just with, the, with our time this morning, can you just share a little bit about your story, you know, where you grew up and how, how this whole thing happened for you? Yeah, I grew up in Dallas, Texas, uh, in a large Roman Catholic family. <laughs> um, I was the youngest of eight kids, and I, and you know, el- early on in elementary school, I began to understand that I was attracted to the same sex, and that was kind of an odd thing because, it, according to my, you know, at that time in Dallas and in society in general, it was very much forbidden and it was a love that dare not speak its name at the time and so it's not like it is today and so I kind of like had this deep dark secret and um, it wasn't until high school that I kind of met my best friend in high school and we came out to each other so I finally had someone to like talk about this issue with and to to explore gay culture we we went to gay bars. I mean, we were like 15 years old going to gay bars in Dallas and nightclubs. And, and um, I just remembered like the, one of the first times I went to one of these nightclubs or gay bars, I, I walked in and I felt like, wow, like these, I feel like I'm at home. I feel like these are my people. And because even though I was popular at school and, and um, you know, had a lot of friends, I, I, they didn't really know who I was. And because I, I had this, again, this secret. And so I feel, I felt kind of like this alienation in a way from my, my classmates, even though they didn't know it. Um, and, and then in college, the same thing, I went away and I, to college and I had my best friend, I met someone who became my best friend and we came out to each other. And again, we, explored gay culture together and talked and shared everything with each other and uh and it wasn't until after college when I moved to Tokyo for a year with my best friend from college that we were there we were in Tokyo in a tiny apartment this tiny apartment and um because it's Tokyo so because it's Tokyo and everything's small and um so I we um he he invited his best friend, one of his friends from Texas to come stay with us for a week. And we, the guy who stayed with us, we ended up falling in love. And that was the first time in my life that had happened that I had, you know, fallen in love and was in a relate and, be, you know, got into a relationship with a guy. And that was kind of the turning point for me. That was 
when you know homosexuality really became my identity and and I came out to my family, I came out to my friends, I, everyone. I just was, I was super open about it after that. And, and then after that kind of Tokyo experience and, and that relationship, after that ended, I moved to LA to, you know, pursue writing and, and acting and stuff and a lot of different things. Um, and I came, fell into a group of friends who were just, uh, you know, really great, funny, hilarious, smart. They're all like Ivy League students, you know, people from Ivy League uh, colleges. And I really loved this group of friends. Some were gay, some were, you know, some were straight. It was a mix of people and they were just, everyone was ambitious and, and, um, everyone was becoming, you know, a, a producer, director, writer, actor, and, and a lot of them, you know, now all that a group of friends now runs Hollywood. It's hilarious. They're, all those friends of mine back in the nineties now run this town. And, and, um, That's but crazy. I love, yeah, I love the experience of, of, of that group. And, and we went to, you know, we went to all the premieres every Thursday night, there was a premiere, a movie premiere. And we went to the, you know, I went to the Oscars, the Golden Globes, the Grammys, the, all the after parties. I was always invited to these things and like the Vanity Fair party after the Oscars and uh, the Governor's Ball after the Oscars. And, um, and you know, I, just during this time, I was having so much fun just meeting everyone. Friends of mine were becoming like TV stars or movie stars overnight. Um, and I, I was just having a great time and, and I, the, uh, my friends and I, all we cared about were, we wanted to make a mark on, you know, we wanted to make it in Hollywood, which they all did. And um, we wanted to find true love, which, you know, I went through a, a series of like five relationships while I was in LA, five, you know, five really serious live-in relationships with guys. And so I thought this is what life is all about. It's just like having these great experiences. And, and then after maybe 15 years of this, I really started to kind of wonder, <laughs> is that all there is? Because <laughs> like, you know, at a certain point, you, you want to know. Well, I've, I always wanted to know the meaning of life, but I knew I could never be a Christian because I was gay. So that God was not even an option for me. It, so... I didn't know what, how to even search for truth, except through, you know, I went to plays, I went to, I read Russian novels, I went to, the, I went to museums in New York and London and Paris all the time. And I would always, I was just searching for meaning, but I, nothing was really giving me, like it would kind of give me temporary meaning for a second and then it would evaporate. And so I just, um, and then I had this kind of, seminal moment in Paris at Paris Fashion Week in March of 2009. I was, you know, I used to go to Fashion Weeks in New York in Paris and I was at, um, I was at, I, I went to a bunch of the shows. I went to the, the after parties and I was at one after party on the, um, one night and I just felt, I people were dancing. Uh, Kanye was there. Kanye was at that Fashion <laughs> Week. Um, nice. And, I, and people were dancing and drinking champagne and having the time of their lives. And, and I just felt this overwhelming sense of emptiness. And I didn't know why. I just was like, what? Like, 
this is not the answer to life. And I can't just keep going to parties and meeting movies, like fabulous people, fabulous parties, fabulous. Like I, this can't just be my life. And I just went back to my hotel in Paris and just was up all night in a panic about my future and didn't know what I was gonna do. And so I, I, got, I get back to LA and I kind of forget about that night because I get busy with work again as a set designer, production designer. But six months later, I am at a coffee shop in LA with uh, my best friend who was gay. We noticed a table next to us and there were young people with Bibles on the table, on their table, physical Bibles, which was crazy to see in LA because I had never seen a Bible in public in LA and neither had my friend. And, and in my friend group, it was just assumed. I mean, no, we didn't even talk about God ever, not even once. And it was assumed God didn't exist. It was just absolutely assumed. Um, and so that was a shocking sighting. And then we ended up in a conversation with them. And I basically just said, are you guys Christians? Like, what's the deal? And they, they said yes. And they told me they were evangelical Christians. They went to this church, Reality LA, on Sunset Boulevard in Hollywood. And they said, you know, we, and we talked for a while. We talked for like an hour. And I said, well, I, you know, I grew up Catholic. I don't really remember, like, just tell me what you believe, because I don't even know. And they did. And they, they were very competent uh, at, you know, telling, sharing the gospel or t explaining their beliefs. And of course, I get to the $64,000 question at the end of our conversation. And I say, well, what does your church in Hollywood believe about homosexuality? And they said, well, we believe it's a sin. And I kind of was like, I, I like their, how blunt they were and how honest they were and that they didn't try to dodge the question. Mm. And also I had in this moment, that moment, I just had this kind of like, okay, there, what if God does exist? There's a tiny slim chance he does. And if he does, what if homosexuality is a sin? And what if I've built my entire life on a false foundation? So I was, I, mean, I was, God must have been working you to even have those thoughts, right? I mean, that's yes. just an amazing thing to, yeah. I mean, it's, it's amazing for you to have that conviction and even those, those, even entertain those, those thoughts is just God already at work. Yes. Yeah, totally. And so I, so I, I just said, I just accepted what they said. And then they invited me to church the following Sunday. I said, you know, I don't know if I'll come, but why don't you just give me the address and we'll see. And I really didn't know what I was going to do. And then the following Sunday, I woke up and I was like, I guess I'm going to church today. That's awesome. <laughs> I, got, I got dressed, got in my car, and I drove to Holly to this. this. It's, it, almost like, it's almost like the Holy Spirit just in the driver's seat of your brain at that point. You don't even know. No, it was like it was like the whole it was like I was driving a Tesla or something. It, it was like right. on autopilot. This was before Tesla's existed, but right. it was like on autopilot, just like driving me to church. That's and, awesome. Um, and, uh, you know, it, I had never been to an evangelical church. I didn't know what to expect. And so I walk up and um, I walk into the auditorium and I hear the Christian worship music playing that the worship band is playing. And I just, you know, I kind of cringed a little bit because I was like, oh, I forgot Christian music existed. And <laughs> but then I liked it. I, I didn't mind it. I was like, oh, it's kind of good, actually. And I found my seat. It's I come a long way since the 90s, you know. Yes. Well, I don't know, because I had never listened to the 90s. But I, um, I found a seat by myself near the front, 
and the pastor came out. He preaches on Romans. He's in, he's in the middle of a two-year series on Romans, uh, expository preaching. And so we, he's on Romans chapter seven, and he's preaching and for an hour. And I just, everything started to just, everything he said, everything, every word, every sentence he was saying was resonating as truth in my mind and my heart. And I didn't know why. And I was just like, what is wow. going on? And I was literally on the edge of my seat, totally riveted to the sermon. And I didn't want him to stop. I didn't want him to stop talking. Cause I was like, this is, this Man. is true. And I, and I was like, it turned everything I understood religion was on its head. I was like, this is a gospel. Like, why didn't anyone tell me this? And, and, um, right. and, and I was like, this is good news. And it was the first time in my life that I had really heard and understood the gospel. Mm. Um, because I mean, obviously God has to kind of open your ears to really hear it and understand it fully. And, and so, um, then after the sermon, the, he left the stage and he said, you know, there's people on the side who can pray for you if you need prayer for anything. And I just was like, well, should I go over there and ask for prayer? I don't, but if I do, that's like admitting that this might be real and that's humiliating. And I was like, whatever, I'm just going to go over there. And so I walked over to this guy and I said, you know, can you, I said, I don't know what I believe, but I'm here. And he wow. was like, oh, let me pray for you. And he, you know, he laid hands on me when that was still legal <laughs> and prayed for me. And, yeah. um, and he prayed and it just seemed really powerful. I was like, why is this like random straight dude love me so much? And why does he care about me so much? And, and that was powerful. And then I went back to my seat, sat down while everyone else was standing and singing worship music for the next 25 minutes. And I sat down and when I sat down, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit just overwhelmed me and God revealed himself to me in that moment. And it was like a road to Damascus kind of moment. And it was God was like, I'm God. Jesus is my son. Heaven's real. Hell's real. The Bible's true. Welcome to my kingdom. And I was that like, whoa. So awesome. <laughs> Man. And it was so, Amen. it was so real and so, uh, extraordinary and i i just started sobbing it was like isaiah in the temple when he sees the holiness of god and comes undone i just like fell apart and just like started sobbing and sobbing for the next 25 minutes couldn't i was i i had cried it was i had never cried that hard in my life unless unless i you know i did as an infant but but i was just born again so i was an infant um right so i that was like it was like in that moment, the curtains had finally parted and I could see the truth for the first time. It was like, oh my gosh, I know what the meaning of life is and I know where I came from, what I'm doing here, where I'm going. Hmm. And then I had a second. That's amazing. That's yeah. Awesome. I mean, and I was just like absolutely overwhelmed. And I got, and I got home. I came home right after the service because I was so overwhelmed and I got in bed to take a nap and it happened again. God was like, let me show you a little more of my glory. And like, I just wow. felt his presence like all over me. It was crazy. And I just jumped out of bed crying again. And I was like, God, you have my whole life. I'm done. I, the, I'm done. Like <laughs> I knew. I this knew is so it. awesome. Yeah. yeah and, and I knew. In and that again, moment, and, and, and what's so awesome is, is, you know, of course your story is unique, but 
I mean, there are millions and millions of people around the world who can say the same thing. You know, exactly, just, yeah. God is not going to be stopped. You know, we, we want to put him in a box, but God is at work and he is calling his people out from all kinds of death and sin and darkness. And it's just amazing to hear, you know, it's amazing to hear it again from, from you. You know, it's just awesome. Amen. Yeah, and, and, um, and I knew in that moment in my bedroom, I knew that homosexuality was a sin. I knew it was wrong. I knew that it was no longer part of my identity, that it wasn't who I was, that it was no longer a part of my future. And I, but I didn't care because I just met Jesus. I met the king of the universe and I'm like, I'm going to go with this guy. Good riddance to that old life because mm -hmm. I don't like, I'm done with that. And uh, it was just so instantaneous. It didn't, for me, it wasn't like this drawn out process of kind of figuring out that it was a sin. It was immediate. And, mm -hmm. um, and I just, I, I didn't care. I just was like, I'm all in and I, this is, I, I'm thrilled to be, <laughs> to be, because you know, like, here's the thing. When you live in a postmodern world, a postmodern relativism, you know, for so long, I lived in that, in that world. And when you don't have, you don't know what's right, what's wrong, what's up, what's down. You're, you're just like, everything's subjective. There's no objective truth. And that becomes like a heavy burden after a while. It becomes burdensome. And so when I finally knew that there was objective truth and that you could actually know objective truth, uh, it just like, I felt such relief for the first time in my life. I felt this like, I'm like un incredible relief of like, oh my gosh, I know that there's objective truth. And I, I know, not only do I know God, I know that I know God. It's just insane. Mm. yeah the whole the, yeah just knowing and that's good to hear yeah from your perspective how even just that whole the, again yeah, the, the relativistic view the burden of that that's placed on you as, a, as an individual constantly just not knowing what's what's right wrong good bad just being you're know, walking in this total state of confusion all the time and mm -hmm. um yeah you're just guessing in the dark all the time you're, you don't know what's going on it's weird it's like being in a dark room <laughs> <laughs> not right. knowing, just kind of like feeling your way around and be not knowing what's where. Where's the dresser? Where's the bed? I, I can't, you know, it's like that kind of thing. So the rest of your story is awesome, and, I, and I'm going to encourage our readers to, to go check out the book to catch because he shares more kind of what happens after. Um, but I, I want to get onto a few of the, the questions. So obviously, as you've already shared, you you were living a gay lifestyle, and in that moment, though, when you came to faith you at least for you the experience was very clear this is sin this is wrong and and you want jesus he's he's so much better than your life is sin and i do think one of the mistakes that we can make um is we we separate that out that particular sin some sort of different sin that all of us can say when we came to faith in christ whatever that sin was we were engaged in just became garbage we wanted nothing to do with that whether we were living with a boyfriend or a girlfriend or whether we were doing some kind of job that we knew wasn't ethically right or i mean all kinds of things we all say oh my goodness this is terrible and um and that was your experience with with your same-sex attraction but i do want to talk a little bit about i mean how how is it you, you so you, you wrote this book that's sort of your story and in it you tell a lot of your story, but then also you weave into it, of course, the bigger conversation that is happening within our culture and, and even among believers about what does it look like? Um, like what is same-sex attraction and how does that flesh out when you are a believer? There are folks who say, well, there's, so there's certain kinds of homosexual behavior that's prohibited 
uh, in the Bible. But if you're talking about monogamous, same-sex relationships, that's different. Well, I mean, the Bible is very clear. And I know there's a revisionist, there's revisionist, um, you know, theologians or, or what have you that try to kind of change what the Bible says about, I mean, there's six very specific passages about homosexuality, three in the Old Testament, three in the New, I believe. And, but it's just, if you look, I mean, if you look at the broader picture, really, it, you can just, from Genesis to Revelation, you really see you understand God's design for human flourishing, for sexuality, and why, you know, it's like, why does God care about sex? Well, number one, he created sex. And number two, he created sex to be in the parameters, of the very specific parameters of a covenantal relationship between a man and a woman for life. And, and he does that, why does he do that? I mean, he does it for, because he cares about our well-being. And he cares about our flourishing and anything outside of that premarital sex, homosexual sex, whatever, um, extramarital sex is all destructive. It all leads to destruction. And, and you might, you know, you might say, well, and I just think of my dad when, you know, my sisters used to sneak out of their bedrooms when they were in high school to go see their boyfriends. And my dad, at one certain a certain point, he nailed their window shut, and so that to me is a picture of what God. It's God's like. My dad, why did he do that? Well, he because he loved my sisters and because he cared about them and he cared about their flourishing and well being, and that's the same with God. He cares about, and I didn't realize this, but I mean, first of all, like living that life, I lived that life for twenty years, if not more, and it was like dangerous. It was super dangerous. And like, you know, one night stands and this and that and like STDs and, you know, there's all sorts of danger and, and not only just physical danger, but emotional uh, damage. I mean, after like having all these affairs and all these things, it scars you emotionally. And, and so God kind of knew what he was doing when he created you know, marriage and sex, and and Jesus reiterates that in in the new in the Gospels. He reiterates God's design for for marriage, and and Paul reiterates it in Ephesians, and 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 even relates it to Christ in the church, and which is even more extraordinary. And so, I um, there you know, this is nothing new. Like you know, people can always shift the Bible to, to rationalize sin or, or, or change what the Bible says to rationalize sins. But, you know, but the consensual homosexual relationships were not un uncommon in, in Paul's world in that time. I mean, there, if you read Plutarch or uh, Plato's Symposium, if Plutarch talks about the, um, I think they were called the sacred band. They were, they were gay men who were lovers who were in the military and it, it was uh, Thebes or they were Theban. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but hmm. they, they would, um, all, the military, the, like the generals or whatever would always put this group of 300 men on the front of the, the front lines because they were lovers. And they, they knew that these men would fight to the death because they would, they, to protect wow. their lover. 
Wow. And these were these were adult consensual homosexual lovers. And so Paul knew about this. It was, this was not anything because, because new. That, that's one of the arguments is 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 that when they're talking about homosexuality, they're they're thinking of of things outside of of right. what you're talking about, like you know, two people who love each other is consensual. When you're saying no, they 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 very much understood that dynamic within same-sex attraction back when they were writing, you know, Paul or, or the Old Testament. Right, and Paul was, and and so yeah, I mean, there's always, obviously, if you want to rationalize, then you can do, you can change yeah. anything in the Bible. Well, it, it's, I mean, again, uh, I think what I want the listeners to hear is you are a man who came out of the same, who came out of a gay lifestyle. And you're saying, look. The Bible is clear. This is not acceptable. This is sinful. And, and our attitude towards uh, those who are living a, a same-sex lifestyle of any sort is not to condemn them any more than, than, you know, I mean, we are to love them as a human being made in God's image and to recognize that their sin is sin. But we, just as we love anyone else who's around us living in sin and living in, in darkness from God, uh, but we don't excuse a particular sin because we think, oh, well, if, if, and and you actually you actually talk about this in the book, and I want to talk about. It. I think some people, some Christians, I think are uncomfortable because they think, oh, but but didn't God make them this way? So isn't it isn't it unloving or unfair for us to to single them out and say, well, hey, folks, thank you so much for listening to the first part of our conversation with Beckett Cook. Join us next week for part two, where we will keep talking about common questions that people have about same-sex attraction and Christianity. We hope you're having a great day. Take care and God bless. Thank you so much for listening to today's conversation. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel using your preferred podcast app and join us again next week. Conversations for Life is a listener-supported ministry of Cross Life. Cross Life exists to equip and empower married couples and parents to cultivate life in the home. For more information and additional resources mentioned in today's episode, please visit our website, crosslifetoday.org. You can also find us on Facebook at Cross Life Resources, Instagram, and Twitter. Until next time, take care and God bless.